probably one of the hardest messages I've, I've ever prepared. One, because for three weeks, I've known about it, roughly three weeks. And two of those weeks, he kept stealing it. <laughs> I started to prepare a message on Mary and Joseph, and he preached on Mary and Joseph. So I thought, okay, I'll switch to kind of, we'll start with the men in the field. And he preached on the shepherds. And I'm like, okay. So after last Sunday night, it just started flowing. And, you know, when you have a, a pastor like him that just keeps taking your messages, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. So I want to go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. And it says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to read for, for, you know, through some verses real quick here. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. You know, some days it feels like it's an all-out battle, not just a, a fight. But like Ephesians 3.14 says, you just keep pressing forward. That crown is there. You know, last Sunday I was asked a question. And it was about my health. And, I, I, you know, throughout the week I thought about that question over and over and over. And, you know, my answer to that question is this. If, it, if it's too much for me, then I go out doing what God wanted me to do. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus... The author, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then in John chapter 19, I'm going to read 25, 28, and 30. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So when Jesus has, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. By saying it is finished, he was saying, my work is done. Every prophecy is fulfilled. From birth to death, Father, I'm coming home. He gave up his spirit that day so that the Holy Spirit could be in us. You know, he said, when I leave, I send to you a comforter. Without that day, there would be no comforter in us. And now, you may be wondering, what do all these verses have to do with the Christmas message? Without the birth, none of that happens. Without the birth, we have no hope. Without the birth, we have no promise of eternal life. Without the birth, there's no author and finisher of our faith. 
Without the birth, there's no prize. Without the birth, there's nothing to press forward to. Without the birth, there's no race to race. We are now seven days away from the most exciting day of the year. Bottom line. Next Sunday, the day we all gather around a tree and open gift, open gifts from our loved ones. And it's the day we as Christians recognize the greatest gift that was ever given to us, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, I want you guys to go on a journey with me. This is where you get to see how God uses my studies. Adam and Eve is where we're going with today's message to begin with. We begin the Christmas journey in the Garden of Eden. Eve made a choice. If we go back to the beginning, why do we need such a gift? Why did we need the birth of Christ? Adam and Eve made a choice. There are many trees to eat from. If you was in the Garden of Eden, there's trees everywhere. God sprung up trees in the Garden of Eden, and he said, you can eat from any of these. But there's two in the midst. Right here in the middle of the garden, there's two. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you can eat from this one, not from this one. Don't eat from this one. So we jump to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the women saw, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and I wonder, <clears throat> right there, if that's why they say never go to the grocery store hungry. <laughs> because you make wrong decisions. So I'm right there, I mean, you kind of get a peek into my mind when I'm studying. That's just a little sneak peek there. I'm studying that and I'm like, hey, I wonder if that's why you never go to the grocery store hungry. You make some bad decisions there. So anyway, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And this begins, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Why was the tree even there? Why did God put such a tree in the garden? If he wanted perfection from his people, why is this tree here? You know, I thought about that for a while as I stared out my window, which I do for like hours when I'm studying because I'm like, hmm. Because God wanted them, even them, to choose him. It's not love if you don't choose him. If he gives you no option, it's not love. Bottom line, he says, you have to choose to love me. You see, Adam and Eve ate from the tree. But up to this point, they had chosen to follow God. And they knew perfect peace. Everything was perfect. Genesis chapter 2 verse 10 says, tells us even the garden was watered itself. Can you imagine? Today we have to kill ourselves to grow a stinking cucumber. And this whole garden watered itself. I mean, they messed up everything. 
But they ate from all the approved trees in the garden, including the tree of life, which granted them life. They had a tree here that they could eat from and live forever. Or they could choose this tree. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Well, wait. Let me back up right there. Until the one day they chose to disobey God. And God had to take action. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree in life and eat and live forever. Can you imagine only... Knowing good. I mean, how nice would that be? Can you imagine perfect peace? Can you imagine the point in your life where nobody's going, Adam, your fig leaf's dirty. Change it. Adam, your fig leaf don't match your moccasins. I can't match clothes, too. I had to, I had to just throw that in there because I can't match nothing. But so up until this point where they ate, from the forbidden tree, there was no need for a savior because everything was perfect. Man did not know sin, but God had to remove them from the garden because now, knowing evil, they could no longer live forever. Adam and Eve's first act as know-it-alls, now that they knew everything, was to hide from God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And this, this too made me think when I'm studying through this. They talked to the animals, right? I mean, this snake walked up, or slithered up, and Eve talked to this snake. So at this point, this, this ain't in the Bible, this is just me thinking. At this point, this ain't weird to her, right? I mean, she likes has a conversation with this snake. Snake walks up or slithers up to you and talks to you. Are you just going to stand there and talk to it, or are you going to take off? <laughs> so this made me think at this point, do they like talk to the animals? This is my mind. I'm like, do you go up to a cow and go, hey, cow? And he's like, no. <laughs> What's up? Because this wasn't strange to Eve to talk to this snake. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. My mind just goes, Bruh. it's like squirrel. So, but I mean, so, I mean, was it not strange? If Eve didn't find it strange to talk to a snake before they knew everything, but now they're ashamed and they hide herself from God. Everything changed when they ate from that tree. So their first act was to hide themselves from God. God's first act was to admonish them and remove them from the garden. So as we continue on this journey, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Have you ever stepped on a rock barefooted? That hurts. It doesn't matter if it's tiny rock. It, it still hurts. When I was reading this, as Jesus stomps the head of Satan, 
God says right there, it'll bruise his heel. He's going to stomp so hard. It's going to bruise his heel. This was the first mention right here. All the way back in Genesis. The very first mention of the birth of Christ. And the cross. All in the same verse. It astounded me right there. All in one verse. The birth and the victory. If you ever wondered why the church and the world don't get along. It's in that verse too. That verse says an awful lot. God foretold that the world and the church would not get along. It says, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Your seed, the devil, is the world. Her seed, which is Christ, the church, is us. God says he will put enmity there. It was all actually foretold right there. That one little verse says so much. If you don't just fly right through it, one verse says the world and the church will not get along. And because you've done this, you will die. Her seed, he will bruise you, your head and you will bruise his heel. It is amazing what one verse will tell you. In verse 6, they fell. Nine verses later, God was already telling Satan of the birth of Christ and his demise. You have to wonder, at that point, if Satan had buyer's remorse. Feeling at, tri- uh, the, at the buyer's remorse feeling at trick and Eve. It was a good idea up until this point. Up until this point, he wasn't doomed. You know, when he put himself above God in heaven, God just throwed him out. He was just like, get out. You and your angels are out of heaven. At this point, he wasn't doomed. But then he went a little farther. And I believe he just thought, you know what? You put these perfect people here. I'm, I'm going to take them from you now. And I think God said that's enough. But he did, the Satan didn't realize that God would say, Okay, now I'm going to send my son and I'm going to end you. At first, he put himself above God. God throws him out of heaven. But he's still roaming the earth right here. Obviously, he's in, you know, he's in the serpent. He goes in and talks to Eve, and she's like, okay. But now he says he's going to end him. But I think we've all had that buyer's remorse feeling at one time or another. I think everybody in here knows what I'm talking about. You get, real, you get your heart set on something. You're really excited. You're really nervous. You're really praying. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a boy, a girl. You know, they just really get your blood flowing. The anticipation's fun. I mean, it's really a good thing. We're going to use the car for an example here. 
I thought about using husbands and wives, but I don't really want to get nothing started. I don't want you looking at them going. <laughs> so anyway, you're excited. You finally get this car that you've wanted. You're nervous about getting the loan, whatever. You get the loan and bam, you, you have the car. Then after a few days, you know, after a few weeks, you get that first car payment, you make that car payment. What did I do? What in the world did I do? I have to pay five, six, seven. I've seen some payments up to eight, nine hundred dollars for a car. And then you look at that and you're like, man, I got to pay this much money every month for this for usually six to eight years. And you're like, I am stuck in this thing for six to eight years. I wonder, I just wonder if the devil thought that that day when God told him your days are numbered. I wonder if he thought, what did I do? What in the world? Was it really worth it? So now he knows my days are numbered, so what's he do? He goes around and he toys with God's people. Because we're all God's people. If you're sitting in here today, whether you know Christ or don't know Christ, you're God's. You're God's people. You're just in a different state. You're here for a reason. Whether you accepted him or not yet, God sent, you his, God sent his son for you. But now as Satan is trying to keep people from the Lord, you know in the back of his mind he remembers that promise. Every single day for the last, gosh, that was in Genesis, so 6,000 years. He knows his end is coming. Can you imagine the dread the devil feels on the day we wake up and celebrate the birth of our Savior? He knows what we're celebrating. He knows we're celebrating his end. He knows we're celebrating our gift to his end. We're celebrating the one that was born to die so that we would have access to God through a little baby. Everybody in this room can have access to the throne room of God. Through the birth, there would be a way from all, for all of us through Him to go directly to God. A way for each and every one of us to defeat Satan. That through the Holy Spirit that lives in every one of us, we have the strength to overcome. We just have to find it. We have to be willing to dig in there and get it. John 14, chapter 14, verses 5 and 6 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Without the birth, there is no through me. Without the birth, none of that's possible. Through Mary's obedience, giving supernatural birth to our Savior, we can wake up every single morning victorious. We can celebrate the birth of Jesus one day a year. But in the words of Eddie Griswold, 
It's the gift that keeps on giving. So let's talk for one minute. Well, give me a few minutes about this miracle. And just show, let me show you how God provided us proof of just how He works. And how He gives us undeniable foundations of the truth throughout the Word. That Jesus is our Lord. Now these verses aren't on your screen. I didn't turn these ones in because I want you guys to flip there. I want you to read these with me. And it's Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 43. If you brought your Bible, I know Pastor told you all last week to start bringing your work. So I'm testing you. <clears throat> it's Luke chapter 1 verse 39 through 43. I'll give everybody a second to get there. All right. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now why are these verses even further proof of an undeniable truth about the birth of Jesus? Here is what is amazing. If, if memory serves, this predates the telephone by roughly 1,880 years. So Mary didn't pick up the phone and call Elizabeth. It, there was no telegraph system yet. That didn't come around to, for another 1,840 years. I don't think she wrote a letter. Stamps weren't invented until 1837. This is kind of before that. So here's why I believe this is true. Mary, who was in Nazareth, when she got the visit from Gabriel. Now just follow along my story here. She became pregnant. Verse 39 tells us she arose with haste. Meaning she probably got up. At this point, she got the news. She arose with haste. She probably got up, packed some items. She probably got some food ready. She got some I don't know how many clothing they wore back then. Everything pretty much looked the same. So she probably throwed an extra robe into a bag, whatever. So she probably sacked up a day or two of food. She packed up the camel, donkey, whatever they rode with at that point in time. But travel wasn't quite as easy. You know, they didn't just run out and jump in their vehicle and drive the mileage there. She lived in Nazareth. Elizabeth lived in Ein Karim, a city just outside of Judah. Now, this was uphill. Nazareth was down here. Ein Karim was up here. If you know kind of the layout of the cities back then, it was uphill. Just under 100 miles. I think it was around 81 miles to be, if you wanted to be kind of exact. It was like 81 miles. The Bible says she entered the house and greeted her. Now... 14-year-old girl, I doubt she went 
Elizabeth opens the door and she goes, Dude, an angel visit me, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I doubt that's the way it happened. She probably thought for the day or two that it took to walk or donkey ride up there of what I'm going to say. What am I going to do? How in the world am I going to explain this to people? I mean, Lord God, you're, talking, you're looking at a 14, 15-year-old girl. People will never believe what just happened to me. How am I going to explain this? She didn't have to. When she got there, she greeted Elizabeth. Now, in the King James Version, it says... Let me find it in here. Uses the word saluted. Which means honorable greeting of politeness. A way of expressing personal respect. Asking about another's welfare. And speaking a blessing over them. If you ever notice the way uh, Paul starts his Bible. His uh, books. That's a, that's a salutation. Wouldn't it be nice if people actually still kind of talk that way? Saluted people that way when they was like, hey, how are you doing? You know, a nice, polite, hey, let's find out how you're doing. But this gave them a, a respect. Asking about another's welfare and speaking a blessing over them. Instead of going, hey, what's up, dude? I mean, really. They used to be respectful back in the day. So I think when she knocked on the door and Elizabeth opened she saluted her in their habit, in their ways. And in these days, so I would suppose she used a traditional greeting. And when she did, the babe leapt in, in Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the power of the Lord came over her. And she knew. Mary didn't have to tell her. She knew that she was with child. And that child was special. She knew that the baby that she carried was special. She knew it was so special that she wondered why she was the one blessed enough to be visited. Think about that. Now, in other words, you couldn't tell by looking at her at most Week, week and a half pregnant. I don't think a woman starts showing for a couple months. I don't really remember. It's been like 28 years. 26, something like that. Five, 25. <laughs> I can't get an age right to save my life. But it's been a long time. But I don't think they start actually showing that they're pregnant for two or three months. And at best, she was a week or two. And, and that, there's proof of that. We know this by the timeline the Bible gives us of Elizabeth's pregnancy and her length of stay. In Luke chapter 1 verse 36, and this is Gabriel telling Mary, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for who, who was called barren. Then in verse 56 of chapter 1, Mary remained with her for three months. 
and then return to her house. And then in verse 57, Elizabeth gives birth. So if when Mary became pregnant, Elizabeth was six months, Mary went there, stayed three months, what's that add up to? Nine months. How long is a woman pregnant? Nine months. So the Bible gives us a timeline and says six months, three months. So that tells you right then when it says she got up in haste and left that she actually got up and left. She didn't dally. She didn't wait. She left. So that's proof that when she got there, there was no way Elizabeth knew that she was pregnant. There's no way she got word to her. There's no way she was showing. There's no way but by the Holy Spirit of God. She knew that she was pregnant. That's just one further truth that God says, my word is true. I said all that to show that. That even though all the Old Testament prophets foretold it, told about the birth of Jesus, God still give us that one more illustration, one more illustration. That before any knowledge that this is the King of Kings that Mary's carrying, that by this birth, as Mary says in verse 50 of Luke chapter 1, His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary knew what she was carrying. Now Elizabeth knew what she was carrying. God is truly amazing how He puts all these nuggets in His Word for us to just pull out. I mean, why else would Gabriel mention this <clears throat> after dropping a bombshell? I mean, could you imagine? Hey, guess what? You're going to be pregnant. You're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And bam, there it is. Oh, and by the way, your cousin's pregnant. And, I mean, I know he told her she's pregnant just to calm her fears. Just to show her God does move, God is powerful, and He can make her pregnant even though she was barren all her life. He was giving her confirmation in her spirit that God does move. But what's the significance of telling her six months? That was for us. To know that, hey, here's a timeline. Otherwise, He would just say, and your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant who was barren all her life. I think the six months was just further proof that this is a miracle. From the birth to the cross to where we are today. Without the birth, we have no cross. With no cross, we have no promise of eternal life. But Adam and Eve did eat from the tree God warned them not to eat. And Mary did have a baby. And that baby did become a man. And that man healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. And he chose to die on a cross. So everyone could have the opportunity to be with him. He chose that cross. He didn't have to die on that cross. He chose that cross. In seven days, <clears throat> we will be waking up and opening our gifts from one another. And we will be happy to be together, all sitting around a tree. 
let's not forget that day, the one who chose a tree for us. Let's not forget that. This week is going to be a busy week. And like I talked about Wednesday, every Christian says, Jesus is what? The reason for the season. Let's not leave him out of that. Let's not leave Jesus out of the season. You know, let's not be so busy that Jesus is not in our season. We have to keep him in our season. We can't be out in the world and be like the world and then say, hey, Jesus is the reason for the season. And they're like, you just run over me with your cart. <laughs> but you got a bumper sticker that said Jesus is the reason for the season. I mean, really, as, as parents, we get such a thrill out of watching our children tear into those gifts and seeing their faces light up with joy. We decorate for this day. We shop for this day. We wrap gifts. We prepare. We worry if other people will like our gifts. Some even prepare a big meal for this occasion. You know, they'll have a big old spread of food out there. But there is one gift given to everyone. For some of us here today, we've opened that gift. And it has changed our life. We use that gift every single day. We rely on that gift. We learn from that gift. That gift has changed us. We read that gift daily. For others, they've also opened that gift. And it changed their life. But then... They took that gift and they put it neatly on this shelf. Right there. They don't want to disturb that gift. They don't want to lose that gift. But they also don't want to get too close to that gift. They don't want to get too involved with that gift because they may have to change some things. They check on that gift from time to time. Hey, you still there? You still with me? Just to make sure that everything's still okay. And then there's other people. Who they've looked at that gift. They've seen that gift. They may have even went over and picked that gift up. They've admired it. They've thought about it. And then for some reason they put it back down. They're just not ready for that gift yet. For some reason, it's still sitting there unopened in some people's lives. This morning, all that can change. Phyllis comes. I don't know if anybody's coming with her, but as Phyllis comes and apparently Shane, don't let anything hold you back this morning. If you have never taken the gift that was offered by Jesus Christ, 
Come today. And let Him change your life. If you've left your gift on a shelf for too long, dust it off. Come a little bit closer to Jesus. Today is the day to do that. There's only one way to the Lord, and that's at the foot of the cross. As they begin. At the, at the foot of the cross, and everybody stands.